This episode of Searching for Ghosts is brought to you by the Uncommon Podcast with B-Pop and Duff. All truth. This guy makes just a comedy of errors on a daily basis. No BS. You have all these people that are whining, and 50 to 90 days ago, most of these people wanted to put you in a fucking cage. Uncensored. You know, the thing. You know. Oh, come on, man. Come on, Coco Buff. Rub these hairy legs. Corn pop. How many times I got to tell you it's corn pop? The Uncommon Podcast with B-Pop and Duff. You can't take away 100,000 jobs and then bring back 90,000 jobs and go, look at me, I brought back 90,000 jobs. Because if you set extremely high goals, it's going to propel you a lot further than if you would have set a more of a soft-ass goal. Every episode of the Uncommon Podcast is dedicated to the first responders, police, firefighters, EMTs, frontline workers, and a special thank you to active duty military and veterans for all that you do so that we can do what we do. We have the illusion of freedom here. County, Kentucky. The victims, many with red hair, were all dumped along major U.S. highways, all possibly connected to a serial killer who has never been caught. Now, what's been dubbed the Redhead Murders. I'm Brandon Barnett, and this is Searching for Ghosts, Season 3, The Case of Nancy Lynn Blankenship. Episode 1, The Redhead Murders. New Year's Day, 1985, I-75 in Campbell County, Tennessee, near Jellicoe Mountain. Tourists who had stopped along the interstate to take some photographs noticed a body that had been rolled down the mountainside and was lodged against some trees. According to authorities, the victim, a red-haired woman in her late teens to early 20s, had only been dead just a few days at most. The woman had been bound, gagged, and appeared to have been beaten and strangled. Dateline, 
family restaurant, Haywood County, Tennessee, March 2nd, 1985. Nashville woman entered the restaurant just off Interstate 40 on a Saturday morning, wearing only a t-shirt. She stated that she had been raped and held captive by a truck driver for Pam's trucking. He was asleep in the cab of his rig when the woman escaped. James Robert Armstrong of Arkansas had kidnapped the woman in Nashville, raped her repeatedly, once at a rest stop in Madison County just 10 miles outside of Jackson, Tennessee. Armstrong tied a rope around the victim's neck, tied her hands behind her back, blindfolded her, and used an ice pick and a flashlight to assault her. Witnesses at the restaurant said the victim appeared to have been poked in the chest with the ice pick and had rope burns around her neck. He told the victim that he should kill her, and when she asked why, his response was, ah, just for the hell of it. In the early and mid-80s, there was no internet or email. The fax machine had been invented, but in 1982, the price tag was $20,000 per machine. But law enforcement agencies did have teletype machines, and that's how word got out to other states about these red-haired victims. Madison County Chief Deputy Herb Fought sent out a national teletype after arresting James Armstrong. Retired Madison County Sheriff David Woolfork was the lead investigator in the Armstrong case. I do remember specifically the redhead murders, and back during those times, we would do local press releases for the local media and so forth, and we would send those teletypes out that, that would go, you know, nationwide. So, The following Monday, Knoxville, Tennessee... TBI Special Agents Ross Haynes and David Davenport head to Jackson to question Armstrong to see if there is any connection to an attack on an auburn-haired Nashville woman, as well as the unidentified red-haired woman whose body was found near I-75 in Jellicoe, Tennessee. The same day, Memphis, Tennessee. Members of the Memphis Violent Crime Squad head to Jackson to see if there's any correlation between Armstrong and three more redhead murders, including one in West Memphis, Arkansas, and one in Coldwater, Mississippi. No connection was found between Armstrong and any of the other cases. March 6, 1985. Just four days after Armstrong's arrest, Tennessee Highway Patrol in Knoxville, Tennessee are involved in a high-speed chase with Jerry Johns, a truck driver from Cleveland, Tennessee. The chase ended when Johns spun out in the median after trying to take a curve at 100 miles per hour. The car Johns was driving belonged to Linda Shackey, a dancer at a Knoxville nightclub. Johns told authorities that Shackey had let him borrow the car to pick up a friend of hers. Shackey had been found off of Interstate 40, 
She had been bound with strips made from her own clothing and a noose had been tied around her neck. Shaggy told authorities that she had been kicked down the hill by Johns after he had choked her. She played dead and then later crawled up the embankment to look for help. Man, they're attempting to connect me with all these killings as a serial killer. Hit me out of the blue. Apparently I fit the mode of what they're looking for. Can't blame them on them, guess. They've got a lot of unsolved cases all over the country. They can try all they want. It just won't work. I did not do it. WBIR Channel 10 out of Knoxville spoke to TBI investigator David Davenport and TBI Special Agent Brandon Elkins about Johns. Johns had came into Knoxville with his brother and went to a strip club called The Catch. And he had spent some money with a particular female down there and had enticed her to come to his room. Brought up this story that he that he gave her $200 and he took these two $100 bills and he ripped them in half and he gave her half and said, you'll get the rest later. During that interaction, things went awry, took her hostage, then used her own shirt to, to bind her by the hands. And it's, had a gun and pulled a gun on her and had taken her to a remote area. She asked, John's, are you going to kill me? And he said, yes. And she said, why? And she said, because you're a nuisance. And then strangled her. He then fled uh, using her vehicle and left her for dead. You know, John's was a, a, a very intelligent guy. A military veteran with an above average IQ and a family who drove trucks for a living. They did find out that he was well read uh, and he even bragged about reading about serial killing but he never admitted after johns was arrested in the shacky case investigators from ohio pennsylvania alabama arkansas and mississippi were looking into johns for their unsolved murders and since johns was in possession of a stolen pickup truck from houston texas at the time of his arrest it was announced in the press on april 1st 1985 that the fbi was joining the investigation On the same day as the FBI announcement, a red-haired woman was found dead in a refrigerator near Corbin, Kentucky, just 30 minutes north of Jellicoe, Tennessee, where the red-haired victim was found on New Year's Day. The woman was last seen alive at King's Truck Stop on I-75 at Corbin. She was looking for a ride to North Carolina. It's 1985. Every time I come through here, I always have a habit of looking, and I always think about that's where they found the redhead in the refrigerator. Right here, right past this log, uh, is where the refrigerator sat. At that time, there was known to have been several redheaded people that may have been missing or murdered along the I-75 corridor. That peaked a serial killer theory that was never proven. We may be living amongst a serial killer. We may be living, it may not have been a serial killer. It may have been someone that was actually here, that lives here in this county today. Two weeks later, on April 14th, A fisherman discovered the body of a woman off of I-85 in Greene County, Tennessee. Two weeks ago, authorities discovered the badly decomposed body of a red-haired woman in Cheatham County near Nashville. Last week, another redhead was discovered near Corbin, Kentucky. Now authorities in Greene County discovered the body of yet another redheaded victim. The string of homicides have become known as the redhead murders. An article published the following day on April 15th revealed that authorities had evidently been questioning Henry Lee Lucas, the now-convicted serial killer who faced a death penalty in Texas, and his traveling partner, Otis Toole, who was sentenced to death in Florida about their possible involvement in the redhead murders. 
The men were in custody when the body was found in Greene County, Tennessee on April 14th. The same day as the body was found in Greene County, the Dallas Times-Herald released a bombshell article that claimed that Henry Lee Lucas had fabricated the confessions of hundreds of murders. Then, Texas Governor George W. Bush would eventually stay Lucas's execution, largely due to this article and the investigation into the alleged Lucas murders that followed. From an Associated Press article on April 15th, Henry Lee Lucas has confessed to hundreds of murders from California to Pennsylvania, but published reports Sunday raised doubts about the drifters' admissions and about authorities' decisions to close 210 homicide cases because of them. Some law enforcement authorities said Sunday they stood by their acceptance of Lucas' confessions because they had additional evidence to implicate him. But in some cases, officials said the confessions would be re-examined. In a copyright story Sunday, the Dallas Times-Herald said Lucas wanted to end the hoax, but keeps confessing because authorities told him that once he stops talking, he will go to death row to await execution. He was condemned for the 1979 murder of a hitchhiker near Georgetown, Texas, one of at least 10 murders for which he's been convicted. Lucas told the newspaper his claims were a hoax to show law enforcement doesn't do its job. Lucas said he has killed three people, including his mother, in 1960. I only got three, but there, law enforcement officials, going wild every time I tell them about some more, said Lucas. Could Lucas have managed all these murders and still have made it back to Jacksonville in Florida at the end of every week to cash his paycheck? Does it make sense? Well, certainly that, that would make sense if he's the one actually cashing the paychecks. Uh, let's look at each individual case. But from your experience as an investigator, does that seem likely that someone would go on this tour of the United States and every week wind up back in Jacksonville, Florida? Let's look at each individual case and let the individual agency determine was he there or was he at the work site or was he at a was he cashing the check? Prince, not me. the task force. I'm not making a point about yeah. the individual cases. I'm I, I know a what you're doing. You're... The, the amount of travel that Lucas is supposed to have done during this period. We're, we're getting nowhere. Do you think that it's we're getting nowhere. credible that he could have traveled that much and, and committed that many murders? We're, we're getting nowhere. I'm through. There are, I'm sorry, but I just saw a whole and our office is closed. series of, as soon as you of get points to, about the travel that Lucas your, was supposed to have made. As soon as you get your... That I, I was hoping we could discuss. Four days later, on April 18, 1985, the Knoxville News Sentinel published an article announcing that authorities from across the eastern half of the country would convene in Nashville the following week to compare notes on the Redhead murders. Also revealed in the article was that this would be the third time the TBI had held these joint talks. According to the article, law enforcement officials alluded that it was the arrest of Jerry Johns of the attempted murder of Linda Shackey that spurred this latest meeting stating that officials had fielded more than 100 inquiries about his case. After the meeting, Knox County, Tennessee, Chief of Detectives John Maples told the Associated Press that he did not consider Jerry Johns a suspect in the Redhead killings. Even though authorities weren't sure that there was an actual serial killer targeting red-haired women, by 1986, it had become standard operating procedure to look for connections any time a murder took place involving a female with reddish hair. February 6, 1986, from the Jackson Sun. 
A state investigator said it was a matter of routine to question a truck driver arrested on a kidnapping charge about a series of unsolved killings called the Redhead Murders. And the investigator, Steve Watson, deputy director of the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, said he isn't sure such a thing as the Redhead Murders actually exists. We don't know, really. We don't think so, Watson said Wednesday. Just a year after the victim who escaped her kidnapper and found protection in the restaurant, another woman escaped with her life in West Tennessee, this time in Dyer County. She had been abducted and raped by a truck driver in Indiana. The truck driver, Tommy Lee Elkins, 32, of Pennsylvania, was arrested after a 20-year-old red-haired woman from Boston told Dyer County authorities she was abducted in Indiana, held captive, and raped. Authorities in Tennessee, Mississippi, Arkansas, Kentucky, and Pennsylvania are investigating the deaths of at least eight young women whose bodies have been dumped beside major highways since October 1978. With 1985 and 1986 seemingly being the two years where the redhead murders got the most media attention, With few leads to follow, the talk of a potential serial killer targeting auburn-haired women eventually disappeared from media reports. That was until September of 2018, when after over 30 years, the Jane Doe, who was found on New Year's Day in 1985 off I-75 near Jellicoe, Tennessee, was identified as Tina Marie Farmer. It has been more than three decades since investigators discovered a woman dead in Campbell County. Now we are finally learning her identity. 10 News reporter Grant Robinson has the latest in this unsolved case. This is a key step forward in an investigation spanning more than three decades. The Jane Doe found on the side of Interstate 75 in Campbell County back in January of 1985 was just one of six that investigators believe is part of a string of murders that's commonly called the red-headed murders. Just over a year later in 2019, the TBI held a special press conference with an announcement. The long wait is over. After more than 34 years, TBI agents say they solved a cold case. Investigators today named a suspect in the death of Tina Farmer. She was found on New Year's in 1985. And it could also be the break agents need to close a half dozen other murder cases. 10 News reporter Cole Sullivan joins us now with what agents say about the killer and the new technology that led investigators to him. Cole? John, prosecutors can't bring any charges against suspect Jerry Johns. He died four years ago. Investigators say Johns killed Tina Farmer and dumped her body along I-75 in Campbell County. For years, she was a Jane Doe until a positive fingerprint comparison last year. Newly analyzed DNA evidence linked Johns to her murder. The agent who solved the case worked on it for more than a decade. It's been a lot of hard work, a lot of uh, a lot of dead ends. Um, but it's, uh, it's been very rewarding to be able to, to call, um, speak to family members and tell them that we've been able to solve, you know, a 34-year-old mystery. Question, how many more mysteries can be solved with this case? Johns was in dale, jail when he died for trying to kill another woman who looked similar, also had red hair. Police say he tried to kill her in the same way, too. She survived and helped send him to jail. Today, the TBI says it has no confirmation of a link to other redhead murders, but it is looking into it.
Searching for Ghosts is written and produced by me. A special thank you goes out to retired Madison County Sheriff David Wolfork, Eric Jones, who played Jerry Johns in jail, Julia Hamra and Zach Taylor, who voiced the newspaper articles, and WBIR Channel 10 out of Knoxville for their extensive coverage of the Redhead murders. 